Hello everyone. In this episode, we spoke about the story behind making ours 2020 for free and the challenges behind making this decision possible. I spoke with Professor Marsa, the program chair of IRS 2020. We discussed how they came about the decision, as well as discussing the future of the conferences and how we can go from traditional conference habits to create creative solution, which is highlighted by Professor Marsa in this episode. And the most important point is how we can afford an inclusive conferences experiences in terms of attendance, publication. We also highlighted the peer review process and how we can improve it as well for future conferences. So I hope you find this discussion useful and don't forget to sign up for IRS 2020. Thank you. So I, I hope that, um, I mean, it's going to be an interesting story of how this came about. So yeah. uh, I'm happy to just... Actually, I, I'm ah. so interested to hear because I, I have been an inclusion chair at RSS Robotic Science System. And we had a hard time with the organizer that we want to make it free. And it wasn't possible. So I think indeed it's interesting to know how you managed to do that. So. Well, so the organization of IROS has been especially challenging because, you know, we really did the bulk of our work mm. all during COVID uh, restrictions. Yeah. So um, as program, so I'm program chair and Paul O, who's professor at UNLV, is the general chair. And um, as we sort of worked on the conference, we were always thinking, you know, that uh, that we were hoping, right, hopeful yeah. that we yeah. could have an in-person conference. And it just became increasingly clear that we weren't going to be able to do that. And and not so much um, just because of of the things happening in the US, but also, I mean, visa restrictions and travel restrictions mm -hmm. and budget cuts, right? So it's not just, um, it's not just what, what can be done uh, under the law in terms of travel with COVID, but universities were cutting back budgets and people were being told not, not to spend money on travel. So um, over the summer, uh, we knew that we were gonna have to pivot to mm -hmm. a, a virtual conference. Um, it was a little bit challenging to navigate that because mm -hmm. Um, we had signed contracts with the hotels um, and the venues, and we were concerned about uh, being in breach of contract and then being uh, responsible for those financial costs. So while we were planning to move to a fully virtual conference, we couldn't talk about it yeah. um, for risk of, of just being in violation of the contract uh, obligations. Yeah. So we were sort of working behind the scenes on a lot of things. Um, but over the summer, we held the senior program committee meeting. So normally, the program committee meeting would be a three-day event. I was planning to host it in Houston. Yeah. Um, and you fly in about 30 people who represent all of the IEEE uh, regions uh, to take the reviews done by the conference editorial board and determine the program. Which papers are we accepting? Which papers are we uh, not accepting? Yeah. And then how do we form those into sessions? So a three-day meeting became a month of Zoom, right? So I had to do these smaller meetings on Zoom. And so I recruited a much larger uh, SPC or senior program committee than I normally would have because now we didn't have to pay travel expenses. Yeah. And so what would normally have been, so, so normally I think the SPC meetings um, have broadest representation from the region that's hosting the conference. Mm -hmm. um, so it would have been sort of US, North America centric. I was able to have more involvement uh, more broadly from uh, Europe, Asia, um, and other regions. Yeah. Um, so 
So we did all of this planning of the sessions on Zoom and, uh, and, and we really just were just trying to get the work done. Yeah. And so um, we were, we had the advantage of experiencing ICRA. So mm-hmm. ICRA in Paris had to go uh, virtual and it had to do so very quickly. And, um, and we all participated and uh, saw what worked and what didn't work with ICRA. And the philosophy that really Paul was championing um, and a lot of us on the organizing committee supported was it's very challenging to recreate an in-person conference experience mm-hmm. over Zoom, right? It just, it loses, it loses so much of the interaction. So while I had great experiences in workshops and tutorials that were synchronous, they were very, very focused, right? And so you have maybe a hundred people uh, who were dedicated uh, but there were challenges of time zones and time yeah. changes and who's on daylight savings and who yeah. isn't. Yeah. Um, and so we kind of said, how can we think about this differently? Instead of trying to recreate the in-person conference experience, how can we just um, make sure that people have access, easiest access to the content as possible and as broad a participation as possible? So his, uh, his graduate students and he, himself uh, worked to develop our on-demand platform. So we had observed the IEEE TV that was used with um, ICRA, uh, the use of Zoom and Slack and all these different tools. And the resounding feedback that we were getting was simplify, right? We needed to sort of streamline and simplify the interface. And so Paul envisioned this on-demand format mm-hmm. where we just make everything there and people can access it as as they choose. And he did this uh, with his own students in his group. They developed the software for this interface. So uh, while not, while technically free in terms of money, um, there was certainly a lot of labor that has gone into it um, mm-hmm. behind the scenes from uh, the students and faculty who have been contributing to developing the tool and beta testing it. and. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we found is uh, we've been able to create content that is really intuitive to navigate. It is an interface that will look familiar to people who are used to accessing content mm-hmm. on demand. Um, uh, we've been able to use the tools from Paper Plaza, uh, like the keywords, to yeah. link and recommend other videos. So uh, somebody might go and watch a video on soft robotics and normally would only see the other papers in that session. But maybe there's a paper in a control session, which is focused on a control application of soft robotics. So yeah. that would be linked to the keyword. So you'll be able to see other suggested videos. And mm-hmm. we hope that that broadens access to the content. So sort of back to this um, format, we, we knew we were pivoting to this fully on-demand, no uh, in-person uh, experience. And uh, Paul has a tendency, so he likes to go on walks yeah. on weekend mornings and, yeah. and just call me. Um, so I got a call on a Saturday morning and he was getting ready. We were sort of redoing the budget, right? So we knew we weren't obligated to any of the contracts for the venue. Um, we were a little nervous because we were having trouble getting sponsorship. And yeah. maybe I should come back to that later. Um, but he said, Marcy, what if we just made it free? <laughs> I was like, yeah. Well, that would be great. Um, can we do that? Like, do we know that financially we can do that? So what made it possible to, to move to free IROS uh, were a couple of key components. One, um, 
we had spent no money basically on the senior program committee meeting, which is normally a significant investment. Um, and had spent very little um, on with the loan money that we get from RAS uh, mm. so far because we were developing everything under quarantine and Zoom. Second, the on-demand tool that Paul uh, and his students were developing um, was a labor of love, right? With no with no financial cost. Yeah. And um, third. Uh, people can't write six page papers. So yeah. <laughs> to be honest, a lot of the revenue that we have from IROS comes from the overlinked page charges yeah. for papers. So we ask authors to keep their papers to six pages and we are really proud of our science and we wanna explain everything and we go overlink and then we have to pay these page fees. Yeah. That goes to the conference budget. And so we're actually able to cover the cost between these page uh, fee revenues and the sponsorship that we already had in place and the fact that we had outlaid very little expenses, um, we knew that we could uh, we could break even. So um, authors who had registered already, we have already processed all their refunds of their registration fees. We're working on that now for the wire transfer fees for people who paid by wire transfer. And we shifted everything to this new platform uh, which incurs no fees for registration. So uh, we're really doing this on a shoestring budget. And um, and I think that that key idea that um, we can't recreate the in-person experience. So let's make the most intuitive, easiest to access content through the on-demand platform that we can. And fortunately, when Paul proposed this to the five different societies that are financial and technical sponsors of, of the IROS conference, they were all very, very supportive of the idea and said, yeah, this is a great opportunity. Let's try this experiment and see how far we can reach with the content of the conference. Yeah. So first of all, uh, thanks to you and Professor Paul for this opportunity, because I think based on the experience at RSS and ICRA, you still have to pay fees and think that's really challenging uh, decision. And thank us for you for, yeah, I think that's really, I think what we need as a community sometimes to access more students. Uh, attending Iris. So thanks so much for the effort. That's really a great initiative. So I would like to think about that. But coming back to the challenges, because, you know, it could be easy that you set a little of like fees for the conference, but I think how you overcome the sponsorship. That's so challenging. The sponsorship has been challenging, right? So um, externally, we had a website, we're going to be in Las Vegas. And, and the sponsors think about all the normal ways that they would interact with, with attendees. They're going to have a booth, or they're going to have a job fair, or they're going to have their logo on the bag with no data about how many people we could reach. Yeah. So we had a couple of companies who um, traditionally have sponsored IROS, and those uh, came through and said they would sponsor again. We also had a large number of, co of companies that said financially they couldn't, couldn't support this yeah. year. Um, and so uh, we had enough commitments from a few sponsors uh, to know that we could move forward with confidence with the free registration. And now we're starting to get some data about um, how, many, uh, how many registrants we have in the new system and also um, what, what the companies will have access to in terms of, of getting their names out there. So yes, there will be some ads in this on-demand interface. There will be videos from 
the sponsors mm -hmm. and depending on their level of support, those might be on the main page or they might be like within a session yeah. or associated with a keynote or plenary. But now we have the, the prototype. We, we've been able to share that with prospective sponsors and mm -hmm. they have a much better sense now of what their investment is, is gaining them and it, and it's exposure really um, yeah. is the primary uh, opportunity for that. Yeah, that's a great. So I think I would like to ask you because I think most of students asking this question, how you can get benefit from the virtual format because sometimes the challenge we hear, of course, you may be familiar that sometimes it's, it is sometimes it's challenging to make interaction with your beers through Zoom channel. Have you ever think about that? How we can enhance and make it interactive through virtual format? Yeah, so this is something we thought a lot about and, um, you know, where is the balance between trying to recreate some of those synchronous interactions mm -hmm. uh, with an asynchronous platform? So we've gone uh, for the main technical conference, keynotes, plenaries, everything is asynchronous. And we're using uh, likes and comment boxes. Okay. So um, the uh, attendees, you know, you'll be able to access the content on any platform, anywhere, anytime once we release it on October 25th. Um, and you can uh, comment on uh, on the talks. Uh, those comments are going to be anonymous, um, so that we don't have to worry about uh, privacy. I mean, if you want to if you want to share your identity, yeah. you can, but otherwise, they're going to be anonymous comments. Yeah. Um, and it'll be up to the speaker to go and see that there are comments and respond to those, either with additional you know response comments or by directly contacting uh, an individual outside of the platform. Um, we have we have given a lot more autonomy to the tutorials and workshops, and so you know, given the experience that we had uh, with those tutorials and workshops at ICRA, uh, working quite well because yeah. of the focused nature of them, we are doing that for um, for some of the workshops and tutorials, and we've left that at the discretion of the tutorial and workshop organizers. Mm -hmm. um, I'll give an example from from the tutorial that I'm involved in. About 50% of our talks are going to be live, and 50% are going to be pre-recorded. So the ones that are pre-recorded will be available um, on the 25th of October when the on-demand platform is uh, is shared mm -hmm. or you know uh, made live. And then when we do our tutorial live on the 29th, we have a whole you know Zoom webinar for the whole day planned. We'll be recording the talks that are given live, and then we can add those to the on-demand platform later. And so through that webinar content, we'll be able to have that live interaction. Mm -hmm. um, but then still in the on-demand platform, the comment section will be there. Yeah. It's not perfect. And I don't think it will be the same as you know bumping into people in the hallway or asking a question in a session room. Um, but we also, you know, in light of trying to keep this as, as simple and streamlined and uh, accessible as possible, we think that yeah. this is uh, worth the trade-off. Great. So I'm curious to ask you this question. Are you now what will happen? It was expected to, to be virtual format. And we had a debate, an accurate debate about whether we have to go in person or just virtual conference experiences for you as Marcel. Are you think that was interesting for you to be in a virtual format or you wish to be in person for you? How you find this experience? Honestly, I think um, I'm, I'm, I'm mixed, right? I, there is nothing. Um, Nothing can replace the experience of the in-person conference because, mm -hmm. well, I think that the technical content, that access is still there. And I would argue that maybe that access is better in a virtual format. 
Um, we can uh, access it on our own time. I can see presentations that normally would be, you know, presented simultaneously because IRS has 20 parallel sessions. Yeah. Um, so from a technical content perspective, I actually prefer the virtual format mm -hmm. um, because I have, I have much more sort of control and uh, ability to search and find and see those talks. It is those unplanned interactions, right? That mm. that's difficult. And even in a Zoom format, those don't quite happen. Yeah. You know, you, you poke your head in a room, uh, you see a colleague you haven't seen for a couple of years, you take a student with you to the conference and you can introduce them to, yeah. uh, to your colleagues from other universities. Um, that piece is missing. And I don't think, I don't think there's a way to do that successfully virtually. So mm -hmm. I do hope that, that we can return yeah. to our, um, to our in-person conference experiences. Yeah. But I do hope that we've taken away some of the lessons that we've learned from having to pivot to virtual as yeah. well. That's interesting, but I would like to go for two perspectives here. The first one in virtual format, because you, you mentioned that there's something missing about human to human interactions. Just, but do you think, because on the other side, let's be realistic about that, as you said earlier, that sometimes we had issue about visa traveling sometimes it is challenging and in ECRA debate as well we saw some question about why we select certain regions to to do the conference and that's make for example there was a, like uh, this idea why we, ha we don't have to do it in visa exemption country like malaysia or which is very daunting sometimes and take time i don't I, i'm curious to know from your perspective you have this experience so how this work in the first place, because now we have the future of conference, maybe maybe hybrid. I don't know. How do you envision the future would be? If, if, or we have to look for a, a new technology like hologram or something that maybe beyond the, what we have in Zoom. I don't know. But I'm curious to know your vision about the past and will have been the future given the current experience. I think this is a really great question. Um, and, and I think there will be a lot of experimenting in the next couple of years. Um, to see, you know, what works successfully and and what doesn't work. Yeah. Um, my hope is that the lessons we've learned about access to the technical content will carry on. It, it it's an additional burden uh, on authors to record a presentation on top of you know the paper and the video supplement yeah. and everything else. But having that helps in all those circumstances where you know what somebody gets sick or somebody has a family emergency or yeah. doesn't have the travel budget um, now there is a mechanism that is accepted for how they can present their technical content and i can see us um just we should just expect that going yeah. forward we're going to have to do these video presentations um and that content then will reach a broader population you know, maybe we've got different levels of registration now that are like, I'm going to be in person or mm -hmm. I want just the on-demand access. And maybe that on-demand access uh, is at this sort of very accessible level. Um, I, I don't, I can't, yeah. we, we promised that it was a one-time free registration thing. So yeah. I can't say what the organizers of future conferences are going to do. Um, but I think that, you know, the lessons of ICRA being drastically reduced fees, yeah. um, IROS being being free uh, sets an example that the technical content should be accessible at a very low threshold. Yeah. It's just better for everybody. The virtual or the in-person, like how do you how do you allow a hybrid experience where somebody who is unable to travel for whatever reason can still experience that? 
I think we're going to have to think about how we organize the social events at the mm -hmm. conferences. Um, you know, the lunch with leaders uh, yeah. that's done at ICRA moved to Zoom and had some really vibrant uh, conversations there. Uh, we need to think about how we do that when we have a mix of people in person and, and yeah. remote. And, you know, we've got a lot of examples of that from hybrid teaching. Yeah. A lot of folks, so my own campus, I have students who are on campus and students who are remote. I'm teaching fully remote, but I have colleagues who are in a classroom yeah. where there are some students present and some students remote. And I think we just have to, to bring this to the conference so that we can have those dialogues and interactions yeah. um, and, uh, and still have some of that, you know, spontaneity yeah. that happens uh, with the conference interactions. Yeah, I agree with you. I think in ECRA 2018, they had a Beamer in uh, Perspin conference. So if you are remote, you can still move around, but still you can't engage. It's, that's missing part, so that. Yeah. But again, about the economic impact for the conference, uh, I don't know how this is really, as I said, this is really, um, I think, courageous decision to do like that. So for organizing and make the, this conference possible and this material, because there's a lot of cost around that. So how, how you can also navigate to this costs? Right. So um, there, there are expenses that are, are typically covered and we are, we are covering those. So, yeah. you know, we pay a fee for the paper closet tool and the technical support of that platform and database. Um, and we are covering that uh, with the, the budget that we have from the income, from the number of sponsors yeah. so far and from the um, extra page fees. Yeah. And uh, we also, there's um, a small fee uh, paid uh, to the, um, conference editorial board yeah. organizer um, because of the workload with that. The rest of the conference organization is a fully volunteer yeah. uh, experience, um, despite the amount of work, right? So I have been living and breathing IROS since uh, about May, yeah. when the reviews were, were finishing in preparing for the senior program committee and uh, organizing sessions and session chairs. This is all volunteer. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I think we do this, you know, Paul O has invested so many hours, his student, um, uh, uh, his student has been outstanding. I should definitely acknowledge Dongbin Kim, yeah. uh, developing this on-demand tool. Uh, he's the lead, but a lot of Paul's students have contributed. We do this as volunteers because we care about our technical community yeah. and we want to make sure people have access to this content. Um, so I think, we all need to recognize the workload that goes into organizing yeah. this and and appreciate the sacrifices that yeah. that the volunteers are making when they take on the roles of organizing there's some uh there's some traditions that maybe need to be uh may, may, maybe need to be evaluated right so the senior program committee meeting yeah. is a wonderful exchange mm -hmm. right i had the great fortune to be on the senior program committee for iros 2019 in macau and I, ha I got to go to Hong Kong for the SBC yeah. meeting, and that was paid by the conference budget. Mm -hmm. um, it was a wonderful experience for me to network and meet other robotics researchers. But that's a serious investment to yeah. travel, you know, 30 people travel uh, for a three to four day event. We were able to do the work with Zoom. I don't think it's perfect. Mm -hmm. um, th there's, probably, mm -hmm. uh, there's probably issues and things that we could have done better. Um, 
but I think there's a balance, right? Yeah. So my version of the SPC was, yeah. was free, but a lot of time for myself. Yeah. Less time investment for the members of the SPC who were doing their tasks because I divided everything up into small chunks. Yeah. But we lost that, that, that same kind of experience that you would have at a conference. So I think these are the decisions that we need to make going forward. So mm-hmm. how much how much do we really require the in-person on the organizing end and on the conference end? And how does that affect the expenses for the conference as well? Yeah. And for 21, it will be also, I don't know, in-person or hybrid? I don't know. How, how for you... 2021, yeah. um, I think that they are um, right now planning in-person. Yeah. Um, but there's, I think we have to wait and see what happens with... Uh, with the next couple of months and the promises of, of vaccines and access to yeah. vaccines and how travel restrictions may change and how the economy changes as well. Yeah. Um, there's been significant impact there. Mm-hmm. So. so I'm curious at the, as you as a person, how this affected you, this experience to go through organizing Iris and being free, how this affected in you as Marcy? Um, I, I mean, <laughs> I've gone through so many emotions <laughs> over this. Um, <laughs> Frustration at having to do things on Zoom. Um, I mean, some of it's selfish, right? I wanted to show off Houston and my campus to the members of, yeah. of the senior program committee, some good Texas barbecue. Uh, but then a realization that it's an opportunity. It was an opportunity to involve people who wouldn't have been able to commit to travel to Houston for three days in June, yeah. but instead could, yes, I can commit to a four hour Zoom meeting. Um, same thing with the, the conference itself. In pivoting to this on-demand platform, this is an opportunity to reach a, a much larger group of people than we could otherwise. So I'll, I'll share a little bit of data. Okay. As of October 8th, yeah. we have over 6,500 people registered for yeah. the on-demand IROS platform. That is significantly more than we have seen register for the in-person conferences. And the breakdown is uh, is largely students, right? So um, about uh, 2,000 of those registrants are graduate yeah. students. About uh, 600 are undergraduate students. Yeah. And we even have um, a small sliver so far, we're hoping to increase this, of K-12 students and educators. Yeah. We've got a, a significant uh, portion from uh, uh, industry and government Again, those are areas where we'd like to see more, but I think we're able to reach with this platform a much different audience than the yeah. traditional, you know, university research lab yeah. faculty and a couple of grad students who who get to come. Um, and we're trying to tailor the content as well to be more broadly interesting. That's interesting. Um, so yeah. we have a few videos of like day in the life of a roboticist, and I won't that give nice. that away of who who we've got coming. Um, but you get to see sort of maybe people's personalities more and hear about their hobbies. Yeah. Um, see their labs. Uh, so things that we can't do with a traditional conference. And I think that's been the key, right? The key yeah. is that we can we can spend time sort of lamenting that oh we can't have these in person experiences. But how can we be creative about the content that we share and how can we uh what what can we do that we couldn't do if it was mm-hmm. in person and, and for us that's reaching this much broader audience and and just um the response from the community has been has been great um i'm not like a huge person on social media but my yeah. post on linkedin and my 
tweet, yeah. uh, have have really reached out there and, and yeah. seeing people's feedback and, and appreciation that they're mm. going to have access to this content has been really re rewarding. I really like this point, being creative. And when you mentioned that, how we can go from traditional thinking to be creative. If you can tell us more about what kind of maybe broad audience, since Iris Ekra dedicated to robotist and academician and people industry. So I think you think ahead of time. I think that how you can shift your um, your tradition about conference to be creative. If there's any other ideas you propose to make conference time, not only for people in academia, but outside academia. Do you have any ideas about that? Well, I, I think um, some of the some of the developments and content that we have, um, we've focused on the broad um, appeal that mm -hmm. the content might have outside of the traditional um, academia. So, you know, I've, I've got two teenage boys that are interested in, you know, Legos and robots and things like mm -hmm. that. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that they will access some of this content and be inspired and excited about what they see. You know, maybe the, the technical talks might not be the right uh, pitch, but uh, but these keynotes and plenaries and day in the life of a of a roboticist videos should should do that. I think where we have even more opportunity is in thinking about how to link um, what's happening in the research labs on campuses and in industry um, to the broader public, so that there's both an appreciation of mm -hmm. the technology that's possible and a realization of the challenges that are still out there. Yeah. There's been a lot of talk about how robots can be used to treat COVID yeah. um, and, and maybe some misunderstanding of what's possible and what's not possible. Yeah. Um, and so I think we could use these kinds of venues to help uh, to help communicate more broadly to the public about the state of the art of robotics. You know, it's not what we see in the movies necessarily, yeah. um, but to understand the, uh, the humanitarian applications of robotics um, from medicine, search and rescue, mm -hmm. uh, autonomous vehicles, uh, there's really a lot of great technology out there, but we also need to communicate uh, sort of the, the state of the art and the limitations um, to help people better appreciate uh, what engineering challenges exist around yeah. robotics. That's a great point. And I would like to go for, uh, I think many audience ask about peer review process. Sometimes, you know, it's a challenging and um, in terms of, I think in, in Eckert's habit, sometimes some topics are accepted in the conference and other not accepted. It's about to be intellectually inclusive. So certain topics are highlighted and other not get exposure. Do you think that's something, because I think the decision to be, uh, to have IRS for free is inclusive decision, I think. Everyone has access. So in terms of getting the research in IRS, do you think, is it challenging, do you think? to accept different ideas or the peer review process as well, because we know we have issue here. Yeah, I, I think, um, well, this is this is a tough thing. And, and I think um, RAS has had uh, challenges in the past and, and yeah. you know, new structures have been put in place to try and address these challenges. I think the conference editorial board is a very good structure to help with the peer review process. Um, and the fact that that's done separately from the program decisions. Um, again, we're, it, we're all volunteers here, yeah. right? So I think the inclusion, attitude of inclusion needs to come um, at all levels. So it needs to be communicated um, through all, pro all of the process of the peer review 
from the editor of the conference editorial board to uh, from, from the editor in chief, yeah. right? To the editors, to the associate editors, to the reviewers. Yeah. Um, and that inclusivity uh, addresses our openness to other ideas mm-hmm. uh, and also how we provide our feedback, right? So I think we need to be understanding of assumptions that can be made about the potential contributions of a particular uh, uh, region, university, individual, gender, race, whatever. We need to sort of be aware that we have potential for bias Mm. and we need to really evaluate the science for what it is. And sometimes that means a kooky idea that's like out there and gets you thinking differently that maybe is executed not at a level that you would like, but that idea has value needs to be included. So this just needs to be communicated at every level. And um, I think each person has their role to play. You have your role of reviewer to inform the authors of your feedback, but to also inform the editorial uh, board members of what you think the value is. So there's a lot of opportunities as a reviewer to sort of point your comments in either direction, right? I can give my feedback to the authors. I can also give my feedback to the associate editors. And we need to highlight those papers that have value and merit um, so that they are kept through the process. And then all the way to the senior program committee. There were so many times that we would read reviews and we would take away and be like, ah, what do we think about this? And there was, there was no comments to us, like no, no opinions that we could really rely on. Um, And so, Fortunately, the senior program committee had had great uh, open-minded people who said, you know, this paper maybe didn't have a strong review, but that's an interesting idea that I think will generate discussion and be interesting for the community to see. So we want to have that included. Um, but this is this is everyone's responsibility yeah. to uh, to be inclusive that's at right. every stage of the process and thinking about that inclusivity um, on all uh, yeah. axes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think also one interesting point about uh, for audience maybe in conference with America as like American Sign Language because I think it had hard time to recruit interpreter and sometimes we neglect that people need uh, this service. So I don't know how you see the service for American Sign Language, for example, in virtual format. Mm, that's a good point. So um, we have been trying to address some requests that we've had for captioning yeah. of videos. Um, and uh, I think we're making some good progress there so that we will have more accessible content. Um, we, we need to think about this for all the presentations. So right now it's sort of voluntary for authors when they're recording their presentations to think yeah. about captioning. Um, we will definitely be focused on this for the plenaries and keynotes, mm-hmm. um, but this needs to be in the planning from the beginning. And I think, again, it's this sort of mindset um, everywhere along the way, how do we how do we ensure that um, that we are inclusive? My niche community is not software robotics, it's haptics community. And I think this is a community that has been very uh, much on the forefront of accessibility and in- inclusivity. Um, we've got a community a member and colleague, he's now a PhD mm-hmm. student who uh, relies on um, signing in the hand. Yeah. Uh, he has limited eyesight and hearing and uh, and we support through the conference organizing the staff that he needs to be able to access the content. Um, but we could, we could be doing this again uh, mm-hmm. with any kind of content that we put out there, be it uh, our recorded presentations, just taking that extra step to do captioning, uh, to think uh, th- there's value 
for, for everybody, uh, yeah. right. And having, in having captioning just, uh, you know, from, uh, yeah. accents or just hearing and reading simultaneously yeah. has, has benefit. Indeed. Indeed. So I would like to ask you because we are closing and I think what advice you can give to the future conference organizer, something advice you can give or, um, I would, I would say the biggest advice that I could give is to be open-minded and flexible. Mm -hmm. um, we all have sort of preconceived ideas about what a conference should be like or what aspects uh, we think are most important. And I think the conversations that we've had specifically around IROS this year um, from being you know, forced to do everything uh, from the very beginning of, well, Paul's been organizing for a couple of years, but the, the bulk of the process this year was all done remotely. And it really just forced, forced us to think about things in, in different ways. And there's still things we could have done more. I think the accessibility piece is, is one. We have addressed accessibility in yeah. some ways, but not necessarily in others. Um, so I think, I think the advice I would give is let go a little bit of your preconceived notions of what a conference should be and listen to the community yeah. and take this experience that we've had over the past year and going forward as we um, shift from fully virtual to maybe a more hybrid uh, format to see, you know, what works uh, and how can we make, uh, yeah. how can we make these conferences as valuable as possible to the broadest possible audience? Yeah. Is there any idea in your mind when you've been working Iris 2020, something you thought about and you didn't have the opportunity to deploy in the current version? Of course, you did a great job to be free, but is something sort of ideas or something and you will think about it, but it didn't happen? You wish to be in this format this year or not? I, I mean, there's a little bit of, of things that we've sort of thought about and, and yeah. set aside. Um, we wanted to recreate some of the experiences that people would have had had they been able to travel to Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, so uh, we thought about, was there additional content we could add to the on-demand that would you know not, not be robotics focused at all, yeah. but might give that, that um, the unique, unique flavors of, yeah. of uh, of, of, of a experience, you know, not, not gambling and, uh, but, but showing off, you know, we, we wanted to show off the, the culinary aspects of, yeah. of Las Vegas and, uh, you know, there's, uh, unique and, and, and broadly appealing, uh, uh, performances and things that, that we could have shared, uh, that we just gave up. Um, I think the synchronous piece is something yeah. that, um, we, we were never able to sort of reconcile um, the on-demand mm -hmm. being fully asynchronous um, and, and missing out on that piece of communication. So we'll have to see how the like yeah. buttons and comment boxes work. Yeah. Um, but that's another piece that I think needs more, uh, more thought and yeah. innovation as to how, to how to bring that back. It's interesting indeed. So do you, do you have any final words for what the community would like to say? Well, I just say sign up if you haven't already for <laughs> IROS on demand. Yeah. Um, I think the uh, I think the community will be very happy with the interface exactly. and uh, the ease that with which you can find content. Um, yeah. So I have had some virtual conference experiences where I can't even find my own talk, um, and I don't think that will be the case with IROS 2020. So I hope that you will sign up, tell your friends, um, and and 
get this out there. We want yeah. industry involved. We want government labs involved. We want K-12 uh, to oh, see uh, how exciting uh, robotics can be as a field. Um, so, so that's what I would say is, is sign up. Let's, uh, let's break some records <laughs> with registration for IRS 2020 and, and just show how big the community really yeah. is. It will be, yeah. And thank you once again for you, Marcia, and the organizer for this courageous and compassionate decision for the community. That's really uh, admirable. Thank you for that. Well, thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. Thank you.